Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. May 12, 2019, episode 155, Tiebreaker. Hi everyone, welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. It's been a busy couple of weeks, did not have a chance to put together a formal episode, but wanted to get something out, and I had a, an epiphany this morning. Bob Kloss and I were, as you may know, if you listened to the previous podcast, heading to a queen-rearing course taught by Vincent Aloyo at DelVal University in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is about a 30- to 40-minute ride from the house. And so I brought the recorder with me and figured Bob and I, uh, who've been in contact over the last couple of weeks, could talk about a bunch of stuff we have going on. So this episode, no agenda, no script, just two beekeepers riding in Bob's truck heading to a beekeeping meeting. You should note that I drove the first day, Bob drove the second day, and the reason was when he showed up this morning he told me that he got a phone call from someone about a swarm in a barn and we were going to go partake in the barn swarm capture and apparently it was supposed to be inside but both of us thought that was rather dubious on our drive there and what you'll hear in the episode is that the first half or part of the episode it's about 45 minutes we're going to the class And then the remainder of the episode is us leaving the class and heading to find out what the deal was with this quote-unquote swarm in a barn. We both suspected that it was going to be a cutout, and since you don't get to hear the conclusion, I'll tell you now that, yeah, it's going to be a cutout. There was a hole in the side of the barn. It was not a swarm cluster hanging on a rafter or anything. It actually went into a hole and... Bob, being retired, is going to go back tomorrow. Somebody's going to pull the barn apart, and he's going to see if he can vacuum them out since they just moved in. So that little story is one of many stories and things that we talked about related to the course, the local hive report, things going on in New Jersey beekeeping and other topics. So I think I'll just leave it there. What you're going to hear is the first part of the presentation. There's a little bit more drone in the road noise. Tried to clean that up a little bit. We were lost. We were listening to instructions. We were trying to figure out turn right, turn left on our way to DelVal University. So forgive us for the little sidebars, but it literally is if you could sit in a cab and listen to the two of us talk on our way to a bee meeting, what we talk about. So enjoy the episode. I'll be back uh, next go-round with a more formal episode, as I say at the end. I have a bunch of stuff prepared, just haven't had a chance to sit down and record it. So, um, with no further ado, and you'll understand later what the tiebreaker is about when you hear us discuss things about supersedure cells. Okay. Enjoy, everyone. Dewey's book is in there with a paper in it, if you want to pull it out of my tan uh, bag. So, episode 155... Welcome, Mr. Kloss. Uh, good morning. How are you, sir? <laughs> okay. We're on our way to Queen Rearing, day two. And uh, I thought we could record since I don't have time to build an episode. 
we'll just chat about random things. I guess we could start with a pseudo local hive report. I was in the yard yesterday. Uh, neighbor down the road, Jim, captured a swarm and offered it up. Actually, he called me because he needed some more equipment because he's had so many swarms, he's out of stuff. So I brought him some frames and I brought him a nuke box with some frames in it and said, hey, uh, Jim, if you get another one, here's a box for it. Because <laughs> I think he's got more than his fill of hives. And lo and behold, he called me yesterday and said he had one. So I got home yesterday after the queen rearing course and went out and put it in the eight frame hive, which was ready to go. So uh, that was that was a nice little surprise. So you know that he's had more swarms than he uh, than he needs because he gave me one last week, Kevin, for, wow. for the club. So I brought over one of the uh, new medium hives that we're, we're using, and we uh, we put it in there. Yeah, so um, it's been an incredible swarm season so far this year, and I think it's just going to keep going. Every sunny day, I see Facebook, Internet, people texting me. Lou Naylor texted me yesterday with a swarm that was on the ground. Uh, just, you know, weird stuff going on. You and I were looking at my swarm trap, which is still sitting in my breezeway. Yeah. Which is a pretty successful uh, strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that way. There was an awful lot of bees coming and going. Scout bees. So clearly, somebody is very interested in that swarm trap. Well, so we had this conversation, and, and I mentioned it. I did a short little recording video yesterday of my exploits, and... Um, do bees prior to swarming go out and scout, or is this scouts from a swarm hanging in a tree somewhere coming to it? Yeah. So we, you know, I never really uh, looked that up to settle that. I, I don't. The answer for me is I don't know. I thought, being that the scouts in the swarm are the oldest foragers, that maybe they were out while they were foraging. They were also scouting for a new home. But I don't know that to be true. It could be that they wait until they're hanging from some tree, and then they send the scout bees out. But it would seem to me that that would be a lot of work, and it would take a long time. And I don't think the bees have a lot of time. So just thinking about how efficient they usually are, I think that the scouts are looking beforehand. But that's just my opinion. I don't know it to be true. I, I think my bees know of all the equipment in my garage and other things. They're constantly checking things out. Yeah. If I leave my garage door open for a half hour, there's 100 bees flying around in the garage. So it's an interesting thing. Do you have your equipment shed. Do you have bees flying around yeah, in there all the time? Always. Yep. In my shed and in my truck. I, you know, I leave my truck in the driveway and there's always bees around because I have all my bee equipment in it. Yeah and they smell it and they're constantly there. So that's a great point, I didn't think about that. You know, it's funny, I I had uh, bee equipment in my pickup, which I never did before. And the other day when I was in the garage, they were flying all over my pickup. So yeah. there must be something about that scent that gets left behind. Well, you know, I had a couple boxes that I got from Eric Cannon and I pulled some older boxes out of my garage that I'm not going to keep anymore. But I thought, well, I'll just leave them sit outside and see if the bees... I put a couple frames of comb yeah. in them, and we'll see. Maybe the bees will move into them. So the swarm trap that I never deployed, mm -hmm. I've caught two swarms <laughs> in, <laughs> in my breezeway. 
and it's just perfect. I don't, you know, I don't have to do anything but walk out of the house, go in. Now, when the swarms move in, there's lots of bees flying around the house, but what do I care? Well, My know, whole family's acclimated to it. Now that they've found it, too, that's a great spot. I just keep that one there every year. Yeah. They right? need to move it. But it really has been a pretty good swarm season so far. Uh, you know, last week, uh, so I've gotten two swarms already this year and a cutout. So the cutout in one of those swarms came last week. Uh, one was the week before that, and what are we going to do today, Kevin? Um, I think we're going to go collect a swarm somewhere out in Pennsylvania after the queen rearing that, course. That's right. So I get home from the queen rearing course yesterday, and I get a call at 6.40 from uh, a woman that I mentored, Diana, and she says there's a swarm in Carversville. Now, Carversville, Pennsylvania is just over the river from New Jersey, and this is where I did the cutout on Monday, and Diana helped me. But uh, So I called the phone number that she gave me, and I was told that the bees are in a barn pretty high up. Second story is what he said. So uh, we're prepared after <laughs> the class today. We've got the Kloss Beemobile, yeah. which the Swarm... This thing is a Beemobile, man. Should... <laughs> it's loaded with stuff. <laughs> I, should, I should call it the Swarmmobile, right? Swarm Busters. You need like a go Ghostbusters, so. <laughs> So I'm, you know, I'm ready at a moment's notice. All I had to do last night was throw the ladder in. So, uh, so that's what we're going to try. And as we were just talking about, swarms are certainly less than 50-50, meaning that when you get there, you never know what you're going to find. It might be a swarm. It might be a cutout. It might be there. It might not be there. It might be too high. It might whatever, right? You just never know. Well, last Saturday I got a call about a swarm. Yeah. And somebody sent a picture. They were in St. Louis and someone called them. They were away. Mm-hmm. And it was a swarm that was laying on a parking lot. And I said, well, there's no way I couldn't go get them that Saturday. There's no way they're going to be there on Sunday. Yeah. Because it's going to rain all day, like today. It's pouring. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. So I get a call that Sunday morning saying they're still there. Well, it was in a community center parking lot. And they were literally flat on the parking lot. They just laid down on the ground. So, as you know, I saw that picture, too. And I took one look at them when I saw it and said, that's a pile of dead bees. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Well, They're, they're in a puddle. They I mean, put a tarp over it. Yeah, I saw that, too. But it didn't matter. They were still in a puddle. So, they said, you know, they're still there. So, I went and got them. Well, they were literally in a puddle. I mean, the water was three inches deep. Yeah, yeah. And... A lot of the bees on the bottom drowned, or at least I thought they did. So I, I had to figure out, none of them were flying. I had to figure out how to get them in a the box. So I brought a dustpan and a, <laughs> and a dust broom. And the dust broom didn't work because the bees kept clinging to it, and then I couldn't get them off. So I ended up using a hive tool and just scraping lightly along the ground and picking them up and put them in. Well, when I went to pour them off the dustpan, all the water ran out. Because it collected the water. Nice. They were absolutely drenched. So I would put them in a pile on the dustpan. Yeah. I would turn the dustpan sideways and let them drain, pour it off, and then take the bees and dump them in a box. It was the craziest thing. They were absolutely soaked. But as I stirred them around, they started moving. They were almost like catatonic. But I want to say there were, it was equivalent of a three-pound package. And 
I think in the end I collected the dead bees because I literally picked every bee up off the pavement because someone was watching me. And I had maybe a quarter of a cup of dead bees. The entire mass was alive. It was unbelievable. So you shared that video with me. And as I said, I'm watching it. And uh, you pointed out to me, well, look at that one bee crawling out of the puddle there. Yeah. And sure enough, if you watched it, you saw live bees just slowly crawling out of the puddle. So although, and they seemed like, as you said, catatonic. They were moving in slow motion. And I thought, you know, Kevin's picking up a pile of dead bees here. They're soaking wet. They've been out there for at least a day overnight. It's been cool. They're wet and cold. And guess what? I figure we were always told, right, when bees get wet and cold, they're dead. Yeah. Right? That's the uh, theory. In, in the winter, if you get condensation, it drips down on the bees. It's the moisture that kills the bees, not the cold, right? But uh, so I figured, well, Kevin's pretty hard up for some worms. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll go after anything at this point. Well, what was funny is... When I put them in a box, they were they were in a mass on the bottom of the... I put them in my lion's hive, uh-huh. and it has foundation. And I thought, well, I know that the water was collected on the bottom. I could see the water like a puddle and collected in the pool. <laughs> so, I, I think it took me a half hour to do this whole thing. And I started seeing the bees were walking up on the comb. The ones that were alive and it gave me an idea I turned the box over and I shook it really hard so that mm-hmm. the bees would be up on a comb and I drove home with it on its side and oh. what happened was there was a seam on the bottom of the box manufacturing that allowed the water to drain out and the water drained out on the blanket that I had it wrapped in mm-hmm. so it drained all the water out excess water but the bees were out well I checked the hive yesterday to cut to the chase it's alive. There's probably another quarter to a third of a cup of dead bees on the bottom, which sure. I'm sure they'll clean out. And they were all up on the comb, and they were building out comb, and and it looked really, really like they're on their way. Now, here's the problem. No brood. Yeah. So I think the queen was one of the casualties. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. We're going to a queen rearing course. I'm going to get queens out of it, yeah. hopefully. We're somewhere along the line. I'll be able to supply them with a queen. But it doesn't mean the queen's not in there. She could have... My my estimation is I didn't get the queen because they have probably four frames already started Mm -hmm. with the equivalent. Now, the laying's hive is really deep. And they have probably eight inches down from the top bar built out on two sides. So is that new comb? New comb. Okay, so she would have... And they already have it full of nectar. Yeah, she would have laid in it right away. She would have laid in it. So I think I don't have a queen. But there's still plenty of bees in there. So sometime this week, I'll go give them a queen. You know I'm going to have some queens this week, too. I, uh, I have my... Queen castles out. I've been collecting queen cells, so I had a bunch of capped queen cells last week, or last week, a couple of weeks ago, and they were due all due to hatch last weekend, so they should be mating. Of course, this weather's not helping. Yeah. So uh, I hope they get. It's supposed mating. to rain tomorrow too. I know. So uh, hopefully by the end of, of next week, I should have some queens, and if you need one, no problem. I'll bring you one over. Well, we'll kind of play it by year. I figure midweek we'll check and see. So I wanted to talk to you about the... Um... Well, so let's go back to that. So there's a new rule now. The, the rule, new rule, the rule is 
they're not dead yeah. until they're dry and warm. They're dry and dead. Dry and dead. <laughs> right? I, I, I am just astonished that they were alive. Uh, I, I can't believe they were alive. They looked like a pile of They were literally... Things. And you know what a dead, dead wet bee looks like? It's yeah. all black. It doesn't move. It's matted down. Every bee looked like that. And the one bee that you and I watched on the video walking towards us it looked like a boat in the water and what i don't understand is it was so deep the puddle it was walking through yeah how did it not cover the spiracles how, how did the thing breathe yeah I, I don't know how that works but listen there was actually a wake coming off that yeah, thing. That's, that's how deep it was <laughs> Okay. Well, what I saw was they were climbing up on top of each other to get up out yeah. of the water, yeah. right? But the ones that were buried underneath. Well, I think, you know, you gave them the best chance they could. And what you did flipping the frame over, that was really a great idea. It seemed to work out It perfectly. really drained the water off, I think, you very know, well. Get them out of the water and get them warm. That's the best you could do. Well, you know, so let's talk about the, the lion's hive itself. Do you remember how that worked? It had the, the vertical wires... There were three of them, and you take the foundation sheet and you pin them between them, like okay. behind one, in front of the other, behind one, right? Yeah, I didn't remember that. That's how it works. Okay. And they sit down on the bottom bar, but there's a little bit of a gap. Well, what I found is that when they started building wax on them and put nectar in them, it got so heavy that the sheets just curled over. Really? They didn't hold up. And they haven't attached them to the top bar. Huh. So when they fell over, they fell over on the hive or the frame next to them. And they glued them all together. So it was oh. all cross comb. Oh, what a mess. Oh, what a mess. Yeah. So what I did was I took a hive tool, separated them. And you'll love this because I know you love this. I took blue tape ah, and yes. I taped them all in place so that they would be level. Bob's famous blue tape. Another use for blue tape. And, and got them all straight and put them all back together. And I'm glad I did it early enough because if I didn't, it would have been a, a total wreck. Yeah, and you would have had to start from scratch and just cut all that crap clone coming yep. out. Yeah. yeah, so I think they'll be okay. We'll see. That foundation from those laying frames uh, that you got, it just smells so, it was so beautiful. good. There's something different about it. It just has this gorgeous wax smell well leo did it with all natural <coughs> all natural uh, wax yeah, and he that. built his own i think if one suggestion i would do in the future with that is i would just run one horizontal wire mm -hmm. across so it's interesting you say that because the to lay, support the top the lion's hive that uh, i built i built with roger that's what we did we basically put put a we didn't we put wires on some of them right in the middle yeah and then others we just put a uh, dowel right okay. in, again right in the middle and it seems like what they're doing in in my lane's hive is they build the first piece down to where that dowel is and then they work on the second almost like it's two separate combs well it's not like crimp wire which is hanging from the top bar and they build it down there was a gap and they started building, of course, right on the wax. So, right, right. so it's not attached at all at the top when no. you put it in. Yeah. But I would imagine they were all hanging from the top bar, so eventually they'll glue it all up. But yeah, it was a bit of a mess. It's funny that they they drew comb right away, so 
clearly they were still in that swarming mode, even even after they drowned. <laughs> They're still saying, "Oh, we got to make comb." I made this comb. statement to somebody last week, you know, because we'd started this mentoring program. So many people were writing, and I said, "If you get a cluster of bees and don't get the queen, they will build comb and they will yeah. put they'll go to work. They'll do something, yeah. and that's what this hive did." They were primed for it, obviously. So it was really cold and damp last night. It was raining. I didn't want to spend a lot of time in that hive, so I did a cursory review. Mm-hmm. So I did what we talked about yesterday. I went in the uh, cedar hive, pulled all the foundation comb out of the honey boxes, mm-hmm. and I put drawn comb in there. Okay, good. Because they weren't building foundation. It's still too cold. So this is the lesson to to cover. I was hoping it was going to get warm here in May and that when it was warm and the nectar flow was on, they would build wax and they would build out these two honey boxes for me and it would also do some swarm prevention. The difficulty in through observation, they didn't come at all into that box. Yeah. It was a no man's land. They were not going to cross into the divide to foundation and they're, they're a colony coming out of winter so they're not like a swarm colony which has lots of bees that want to build comb right they have to get to that point and it hasn't been warm at night so they're not going to build comb so they weren't doing anything so i put comb and you can tell by the lion's hive which is sitting right next to it has only been there a handful of days mm-hmm. they built comb right away and put nectar in it so my thought is that i'll finally have that that's going to be as we talked about my honey producer yeah so they're going to start building honey for me yeah. and i pulled the foundation out and i'll have to put it somewhere else yeah so you're right i mean those are the two things right we're we're in a good flow i mentioned to you that uh, one of the uh, hives that i have on a scale even though it seemed like there was a lot of nectar coming in and there was and there was a lot of things blooming it wasn't gaining any weight until last week so last week it gained 10 pounds I went out and took a quick look at it yesterday after we got home. It's already gained another seven pounds this week. Yeah. So clearly we're in the middle of a good flow, but your point is it still has to be warm enough for them to draw comb, the wax to draw comb. Yeah, and it's been off again, oh. on again, rainy, cool, cold nights. You wake up, it's, it's either in the 40 or 40. low 50s. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah. It's been a cold, wet May. So I kudos to you for saving those wet bees, though. I, that, I can't believe they made it through. That just amazed me. You know, you continue to learn no matter how many years you've been doing bees. Every year you see things that you've never seen before. So we're going to queen rearing. Yesterday we, uh, look, local raw honey oh, yeah. at that outdoor living farmer's marketplace. who that is. That's cool. Um. What do you think of the class yesterday? So we, as as always, Kevin, we learned a few new things, right? So from that perspective, it was very useful. Probably the most important thing we learned was we were grafting larvae that were way too old last year. And that's one of the the reasons that we weren't successful. So my my takeaway yesterday was (laughs) if you can see the larvae, it's too big. Right. You're almost grafting blind, right? It's 
kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah, and, you, and you're not grafting blind, but clearly you, you've got a visual aid, right? So you're wearing some sort of magnifier so that it's two or three times as big as normal, and you can just barely see it. And when you can just barely see that little larva in there, and it's got that tiny little crook, it's not, once it's shaped like a C, it's too late. Right. Right? So that's one thing we learned. So anyway, I thought that... That one visual slide that he had was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. So this is my, my thought. You and I did a significant amount of research in order to understand the cloak board method and yeah. to rear queens last year. Yeah. So everything yesterday, no surprise to us, was a bit of a review yeah. for you and I. Yeah. But what we went to this class for was to get the finesse. <clears throat> what are the little tiny things that we would have to learn and we wanted to shortcut our learning, and I think we did that. So you're right. What I, it's funny when we grafted yesterday. The first one I picked was an egg, and he's like, "That's an egg." <laughs> <laughs> but I was being literal, like I was going for the youngest thing. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple things that I observed. The first one was when you try to take one, and it's an egg. It's glued to the bottom of the cell. You can't. Right. You can't scoop it out with the tool. Yeah. It won't move. It'll actually knock the egg over. So you know you got it wrong if the egg doesn't slide with the tool on the bottom of the cell. Yep, that's right. The second thing was it has to be laying down and it should be mass provisioned, which we saw. Mm -hmm. Mass provision meaning it has lots of royal jelly. Now, there's C-like... It's flat, but it has a slight bend in it. Yeah. There's C like it starts to have a C shape. There's C where it's a literal looks like a letter C. And then there's C where the ends are touching almost to an open O. Yeah. Right? Right. What you want is the just bent one. That's yeah. what we learned. Almost looks like a, a fish hook. And you have to have... So this is... We tried the magnification glasses. Yeah. You use yours. How do they work? Mine worked well. See, I think last year we talked about this. I had the wrong lenses in and the focal length, although it gave me better magnification, the focal length was too short. It was like three inches. So you had to hold it right up against your nose. So I changed the lenses and instead of being three times magnification, it was, I think, 1.75. I had the same thing, 1.5. Okay. So mine went one. One five two, three five. I think there's one in two zero, and I think one five right in the middle was the Goldilocks. That that seemed to work, and for, on mine that gave me a ten inch focal length, which is just about right. So you're not crooked over, but I, I was able to see a lot better yesterday. So one of the things I saw yesterday was there were three other people that had the same glasses I did. Yeah. All different manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Oh, were they? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them on Amazon. I checked them out after your last podcast. So I guess there's a lot of different styles. They were really... I, I really like them. Yeah. I, I think it was a good... They were... You you were surprised when you saw it, how sturdy they were, right? Yeah, and how, how much? 15 bucks for those? Yeah. So I think they were just over... Between 15 and 20. Cheap as can be. And with the five lenses, they were great. Yeah. Now, I still used a flashlight. So a couple, I tried the light on it, but yeah. the flashlight's the way to go. All the, yeah, the lights, that seemed to work pretty well. So here was the other thing. We talked about the um, Chinese grafting tool, yeah. right, as being 
you know, probably the easiest one to use. But what we learned was that the, the tip has to be very flexible. In other words, it has to be flexible so that when you put it down at the bottom of the cell, it automatically slides under the larva and through the jelly. So, you know, these things are cheap. They're cheaply made. And you can test a lot of them, and it's hard to tell which one is soft, which one is not. So one of the tips we got was to sandpaper the end with 220 grit sandpaper, fine sandpaper. So I did that last night. Oh, yeah? How'd you make out? I, it, it works great. I, I brought it with me to show you. Okay. Um, it, you, it's noticeably more flexible, and it doesn't take a lot of sanding. That thing is so small, right? Yeah. Works great. I, I think that's, that's a real secret to grafting with a Chinese grafting tool is modify it so that that, that end just flexes and it slides right under I forget the name of the guy he told us that had that tip from the internet, but yeah, I, I have it in my notes. So that was that was. I think very the useful. funny thing about that is the one we used last year with yours, and the one I used yesterday, stiff, flexible, whatever. Right. It's just use the tool, and somebody yesterday was struggling really, really badly, and I said to him, first off, stop it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stop what you're doing." You see this big fat one over here? Mm -hmm. Just go get that one. Yeah. Because you're not worried about wrecking it, and you can focus on your technique. Practice with those first. That's a great the idea. The second thing is you need to tilt it so it's tilted down mm -hmm. and not a scoop. So we talked about this last year, our learning, but that technique of how you enter and push, and then the thing we learned yesterday, the little little improvement was that little twist at the end right you put it in and you have it down underneath the edge but if you pull it back it has so much tension in the bottom of the cell that it stays there but if you give a little bit of a twist it's almost like you pull it off in a motion where you break the suction in the bottom yeah and that little bit of twist made just a difference so you go in you slide the tongue, I'll just call it that, yeah. underneath the larva, and then you turn the tool on like a 30-degree angle as you pull it out, and it pops it right off. Yeah, that was, was interesting, because you could definitely see when uh, Vince did it, you could see him twist, and that, that was important. And what he said was he didn't even know he was doing, doing it. it. It was a student who told him that he was doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like so the, the other thing that I think we probably didn't do well last time was they made such a big deal about keeping everything wet. Yes. And, okay. and moist. Mm -hmm. And we did it, but we didn't do it to the extent they did it. No. 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 I don't know if that's overkill or what, but it really probably made a big difference of not letting things dry out. You know, think about it. You've got your brood minders in there, right? You watch the humidity, right? The yeah. humidity is always up there at 70, 80%, right? It always is. And it's not 70, 80% in the room we were grafting in last year. So I think I think that's necessary. That's one thing I learned yesterday. I don't think it's optional. I think you need to really pay attention to keeping it two things, warm and wet. And warm is not too hard to do, but wet we missed the boat on last year. Well, so yesterday what we had was just sheets of paper towel wet and we just covered everything and then as you were working your way back in the cells, you pulled it back a little bit. As soon as you put it in the cup, 
you would take uh, a paper towel that was wet and put it over the cup, and they were pretty wet. Yeah. The other thing that he did was we laid a wet towel down on the stand that we were putting the frame on. So the side that you weren't grafting from was on a damp towel, keeping those on the other side, you know, hydrated. Yeah. So that, I think that was useful, too, because otherwise, think about it. They're out there all this time while you're grafting from one side, and they're drying out, right? They are. They're all tiny little things, so I don't think it would take much to dry them out. One of the things I, I saw yesterday, we're all over the place, but this is what we said. It was all the little stuff. Did you see how he knocked the bees off the frame? Oh, yeah. That, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. And it was so effective. Yeah. So what he was doing was we were pulling bees, nurse bees, out of colonies. They had like 12, 13 colonies there. And we were trying to load the, the starter with nurse bees. He would take a frame and he would tilt it vertically. And he would take his hand and make a fist. And he banged the end bar with his hand. Bees on it. No matter. <laughs> he yeah. never looked for a bee. Just did it. What I've always done is take both my hands, hold them on the ends, move the frame down horizontally, and give it a quick stop, and all the bees fall off. That, that's the only way I've ever seen it done. And that was the way I was taught, and that's the way I've always done it. Well, here's what I noticed. And I tried it yesterday because I was watching his versus our method. Yeah. When you do this, the vertical, I'm sorry, the horizontal stop like we did, mm -hmm. more bees go in the air. Yeah. When he did his bang, all the bees went straight down into the box. So I think I will always do that from now on. If I want to remove bees from a frame and take the frame without bees, you turn the, the frame sideways and you just take your hand and you bang it on one of the end bars, a good quick wrap. Obviously, make sure you're holding the frame. Yeah. And all the bees just go boom, down right. off the bottom. So the proof was in the pudding. So he's doing that, and I'm watching him. And you're right. All the bees are, are dropping right into the box. No flying bees. That was the big difference. And I shake them the way I always shake them and get bees in the air. And then I, I handed the frame, and he said, oh, there's still bees on there. And he took it. <laughs> he tilted it up vertically, gave it a bang, and they all fell off. Yeah. It was... It was something, yeah, great new technique. That was cool. Never seen that done That's by what's anyone. neat about watching other people work bees. You always yeah. pick a little something up, you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Which is why I feel good about, I don't know that people love the way we keep bees, mm -hmm. but they can see everything we do. Full yeah. disclosure, right? Whenever we shoot the videos of our stuff, people learn. I, listen, I don't mind being critiqued, and you, you don't either, obviously. I don't either. Or, or we wouldn't put it out there. Because you can learn from everybody. But let's, you know, nobody, nobody has a, a corner on bee knowledge. Uh, every year you learn more and more. That technique is just great. I, I'll use that all the time from now on. Yeah, so we covered the cloakboard method. We saw a video. We took a lot of notes. Oh, the laboratory. Yeah, midway during the day we went over and one of the entomologists that works at DelVal, we should talk about DelVal College. Yeah. It's not your normal college. It's almost like a veterinary college. I was or say an ag school. An ag. It, where we were, we were in the <laughs> college's apiary, and we were in amongst the, the pastures where they had the cow barns and everything else. It's that kind of school. It's not your typical college with... 
big glass brick buildings. The facilities are well worn, but it, but it, it's that type of school where you're going to learn animal husbandry and whatever. So they have an entomologist, and he he works with Dr. Aloyo, and came in on a Saturday and did dissections of three bees and had them under the microscopes for us. And the coolest thing was he had drawn pictures of the anatomy with great precision, I might add, yeah. on the chalkboard and described how it works. And then you looked in the microscopes and it added so much more to the lesson, I thought, because, you know, when you look in, you're going, this is great. But you see a bunch of stuff and you have no idea what you're looking at. In a doggy ducky horsey kind of style, he broke it down for us, and it, and it was great. And we learned how eggs are produced. That to me was was uh, you know we've studied for master beekeeper and reproduction and all that stuff. Yeah. And how he showed it with those strings and each of the globules going down and said, "This is how an egg works. It starts at this end and it goes through like a conveyor belt down this line." And it comes out the other end as an egg. And as it's going through, they're adding constituent to it to make it. I mean, that was really, really cool. And then you look at a microscope, and there it is. Well, right? And what was cool is you could see the individual tunnels, if you will, right? So he was saying that the ovaries are made up of hundreds and hundreds of these pathways where the egg starts down. And I never knew that, and I had never seen it. The other thing that was really neat was he dissected the uh, the head and he showed us the mandibular gland. Right. Now, everybody, you know, when they dissect the head, they show you the uh, hypopharyngeal gland and they go, it looks like a string of pearls, right? And so we've seen that before, but I've never seen the uh, mandibular gland before. And it has that same round white yeah. shape yeah. as the hypopharyngeal gland did. So that was cool. I thought that was really, really neat. Uh, you want to make it right here. Okay. Got a guy right on That's what I thought we needed to turn. Sorry, we're just doing a quick direction check of where we're going. This is great. I have the guy next 4.7 miles. We'll be there at 9.02, so we're going to be okay. a little late. But Sorry about there. that, folks. Got it. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I'll give you directions. Sorry, you're going to hear us give directions. <laughs> but this anyway, is, this is the way the world That runs. dissection, he was so precise. I mean, there was no doubt what you were looking at. He had it pinned, and with the, the drawings that he put on the uh, on the board, chalkboard in front, was just great. You're going right here. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. a unique opportunity. That was that was really cool. And, and, and as you told me, he came in specially for us yesterday yeah, on a Saturday. To, to do that. Did, did you, I, I took my phone and got pictures through the microscope. Did you do that? No, because I saw you were doing uh, it. I'll have to share. <laughs> but a lot of people were taking pictures through the microscope. We got we to gotta get this microscope uh, thing figured out. Yeah. We really need one. And to do dissections. Well, and so Vince brought the queen in that they dissected. And he said uh, it was not laying or what, what was the story to that queen? I can't remember actually but it was one of his and it wasn't yeah. performing so he put it in oh no he said it was from a nasty hive i think so no. it had to go and he put it in alcohol and then they brought it in and, and did this section 
So we don't know what we're going to learn today, but we are going to go do a swarm-ish yeah, yeah. thing after today. <laughs> so where is this thing? It's in a barn? So I would, you know, you never get a lot of information, and usually it's, it's not always complete or correct. But anyway, I was told that it's in a barn, and he said it's up on the second level. So it's raining today, obviously. It rained last night. So hopefully it's still there. We'll give a call before we go, and I'll try to get a little bit more information. But you never know. We might get there. It might be a cutout, right? But yeah. at least I can, if it's going to be a cutout, I can scout it and say either, yes, I can do that, or no, you better call somebody else. You know, I don't have a suit. And I, my guess is if they're on a rafter, they're probably building comb, yeah. and they're going to be protective. So yeah. I might be a bystander, <laughs> unless I want to be brave and stand in. Yeah, you'll be my assistant. So one of the things that you did not get to partake in is Brian and I went into the city. And we're going to have to, to do a special episode on this. But we went to the top of the New York City Marriott, Center City, New York City. We were on the 65th floor where they were keeping bees. And uh, our friend Eric that we went to Africa... Uh, He's a beekeeper to the stars, <laughs> to the sky. <laughs> Bee Haven is his business. He keeps bees on rooftops throughout the city. He lives nearby. And uh, we spent a, a day with him, pretty much. We went to three different sites. It was really cool. Um, the first one, we went to the Marriott. We went up to the 65th floor. And he doesn't have bees there right now, but he shows showed us where they were. They're on this platform. And we went in for the purpose of talking to the building manager to see whether or not it was feasible to move the bees down to a lower level. The point of that was that uh, they weren't doing well up on top. Just too high up? They're just too high up. Yeah. So there's a platform on the, on the 35th floor and what ended up happening is not only did we scout the location out, but they were like, yeah, go ahead, move the bees. So we went up and got the boxes and the and the bricks and the all the stuff. You know, when you put a hive on a skyscraper, you have to account for extremely heavy wind loads. Oh, yeah. So the things are ratcheted down to cement blocks so they won't fly away and all the roofs and all that. So we went and got a cart, because it's a hotel, and piled the hives up and moved everything down and it was cool we shot video had to GoPro up with me that day and then not only that we went to two other places he has uh, bees at a high school so we went and did a check on them and did a little swarm prevention and expansion and then we went to the roof of a hospital in Glenridge I think Glen New Ridge. Jersey yeah like, so question were there bees in these boxes that you moved there were not bees at the Marriott, oh, okay. but he just bought bees from Schaefer right around the corner, like across the way, mm -hmm. and he was putting them in last week. Okay. So he came, I think Wednesday, I got a call from him. I was at work, unfortunately, but he was like a mile, you know how they... Yeah, it's too bad he was right near, I know, my, he's right, near my right, house. Right. He probably didn't even realize it. Yeah. No, I think he came to, to the yard over by my place. Oh, okay. Where they have all he's the nukes so, in the yard. Yeah, there too, right? Yeah mile from me not even but unfortunately because he was asking me for how do I get there <laughs> so I think he came to the one by uh, me okay but uh 
we're going to have Eric on the show. We're going to do an interview with him. I set it up and uh, talk about his business, how he got started, what he does. But I shot a Facebook Live video. I just took my phone and stuck it to one of the railings. I have a magnet on it. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. We went through those hives to see what was going on. He had feeders on them. And uh, we just did a little maintenance live on the air on Facebook. So it's been a it's been a fun spring so far. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. That's a great opportunity to go up on the uh, skyscrapers and see how people keep bees. You know, you would never think that you could be up too high for it not to be good for the bees, right? Yeah. I well, would. apparently what happened was they were going down to the ground, and then with all that goes on in the city, mm -hmm. they were disoriented and not making their way back up. The New York City beekeepers, Andrew Coat, I've mm -hmm. never met him, but I've seen his name a billion times. They have bees up there, too. Their hives were sitting there, but they were empty. And they had a bunch of equipment in a foyer there. So when they brought the Honey Queen, American Beekeeping Federation Honey Queen up there, yeah. I think that's where they were. Okay. What's interesting up there is that the, the place where they had the bees, if you're staying in the hotel... You could get in the elevator and come up to the 65th floor. And if you know about it, you could go up the stairway and get to the internal platform that you obviously can't exit to go out to the roof. Yeah. But you could see, now, all the views must be amazing from the hotel. Yeah. Um, we were able to walk the full circle around the hotel. So at one side, you're looking down over Central Park and the museums. And then on the other side, you're looking down into Times Square and you're looking across at the Hudson River and you could see into New Jersey all the way over to the Meadowlands. And I mean, it was just amazing how amazing the view was all the way around from the top of the skyscraper. And you're literally center city. You could see the Chrysler building. You could see it was really, really cool. So can you imagine if we get an opportunity to take the Malawi beekeepers there? They're going to be When amazed. they visit in September? Hey, you know, a, a regular run-of-the-mill person going up there <laughs> yeah. would be amazed. So, so now, if you stay in the Marriott and you go up to the 35th floor, you're going to make it right here. Okay, thank you. 35th floor, uh, the right outside the gym, the fitness center. The bees are sitting outside the window on the platform. So, well, look, we're here. We are. Safe and sound. So, you know, maybe we'll record a second part at the uh, end of the day. But for now, we're going to sign off because we have to go in the visitor center. So that was fun. Thanks for the chat, Bob. Yep. All right, we're here. Let's go. Okay, 3.30 in the afternoon. Just finished queen rearing. And uh, I have a whole list of things to talk about, part two. We have 15 minutes, and the tape recorder, or the recorder that I have, is running out of battery. So we'll see how we work out. But I, I actually have a list here. So the first thing I'll ask you is, uh, did you know that uh, bees expose their Nazanoff gland on the landing board to help guide the queen back? Have you ever heard that before? Yes. I've never heard that one. I've heard all the other things, but never that one. How many swarms have you uh, captured? They do it every time you drop a swarm into that's a box. Not, that's, wait, that's different than what he said. Say what he said? He did not say the bees are on the 
landing board to guide the bees back in because they have a queen, he said, when the queen goes out to mate, oh. she comes back by way of the bees Nazanoff gland. Oh, no, no, I didn't know it that. It was a different Sorry. thing. Completely wrong. Eh. Okay. I, that was a new one on me. All right, Temp Queen. That Temp Queen product. You ever hear of that? Never, no. That was the first on me. I've never heard of it. So it was really cool. And to to say what it is, in the context of queen rearing, when you take a queen cell, capped, and you put it in a mating nuke, and you decide that you're going to put bees in it until the queen emerges. What holds the bees in? There's no queen cell, especially in a small container. And what he said was you buy this stuff called Temp Queen, and it will hold the bees in because it smells like a queen until the actual queen comes out. Yeah, so I wonder what the difference is between that and Swarm Commander. Probably very similar. I don't know, but you know what he said? The other thing that he did was when he does honey extracting... And I thought this would be really cool for the times when I have the garage open and I have all the bees in the garage. Yeah. I don't know how, how you must have seen this when you were in my house. There's so many bees in the garage and they all gather to the lights. And when you close the garage up, you have all these bees that never make their way home. Right. He takes this stuff and he puts it in a box. And all the bees gather in the box. And then he just takes the box and puts it outside. He went one step further to say, if he has a queen cell, he uses it as a starter colony. Yeah. I thought that was that was really cool. Yeah, no, that, that was really cool. Because I think we've all had that problem, extracting or even just dealing with bees, that we have these stragglers, right? And we don't know what to do with them, so they ended up perishing. You find them the next day in your garage crawling on the ground. Well, they crawl against the windows. They go up to the lights or whatever they are. Here, they would collect in a specific box because they would smell. So that was a really cool use. I'm going to have to... And the stuff was cheap. I saw what it cost online. Was it cheap? Yeah, it looked pretty inexpensive. And the other thing was what he showed is that it's a tube. And it's not a plastic-filled straw. It's a tube impregnated with whatever this material is. And the tube itself, you can cut into strips. You don't need to use the whole thing. So in the mating nukes, he had like an inch-long strip out of a... And he said as long as you keep it dry and cool, you'd put it in the fridge. It would keep. So that's that's a cool discovery. I don't know how... How did we get this far in our career and never hear about this stuff? I've never heard of it. Yeah, because I'm sure it's in the catalogs, right? Yeah. And we go through the catalogs. I'm yeah, I was kind of surprised about that. So, Super Seager Cell Competition. <laughs> we asked him <laughs> to weigh in. And so you were, you were funny. <laughs> what did you say? Tell me. Well, so... So let's give a, a recap. So the recap is, I say that for supersedure, that the queen lays in a queen cup. And Kevin says, no, for supersedure, they pick a worker and they create an emer basically an emergency cell for that supersedure queen. So uh, we, asked, <laughs> we asked him and he sided with Kevin. So, of course, that set me off. <laughs> so so I went scouring in the, class. So I went scouring the web 
to see what I could find. And what I found is there's a huge divergence in opinion, okay? So I found on the one side, Clarence Collison and Jamie Ellis, who were on the Kevin side of the coin. But then I saw that Walt Wright and Wyatt Mangum were on my side, but the definitive <laughs> the definitive answer was in Wikipedia, who, who sided with me. And if we can, Wikipedia says it, it must be true. So you win the tiebreaker. Good for you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So another topic that came up was, um, I just it was a factoid that I thought was interesting. Yeah. From the moment you make the graft to the first time that your progeny has a bee emerge is 50 days. Oh, yeah. Did you catch that? I, I did. I never really... I love those kind put, of facts. Put the two together, right? Right? From the time that you graft a queen and she becomes a capped and then she emerges and she goes out and gets mated and then she starts to lay and the time it takes for the queen or for a bee to emerge, 50 days in total. Sounds like an awfully long time, doesn't it? The important part about that is... What time of year are you doing these things? That's really what yeah. matters to me, right? Yeah. Because if you're doing this where you end up at the dearth, then you got to make... The, the person who was sitting next to me uh, started asking me about what was the better way to go. Divide a nuke into a bunch of small hives or take resources out of a bigger hive? And I said, some of that depends on what time of year it is, it is, right? I... I think she needs to concentrate on how is she going to get these little nukes that she wants to cannibalize to overwinter. If she builds, take two small nukes, it builds six hives because she has queens, but then she can't get them to the point where she can overwinter them yeah. without a good plan, then that's not a good idea. Well, right? and related to that, what he said was that the best time to do your nukes that you want to overwinter the latest you can start them, at least in this area in Pennsylvania, is uh, June 4th. He said the first week in June, right? And because, he said, you wanted to raise two rounds of broods, so that's 21 days and 21 days right. of winter bees. So basically, you better make up your nukes before July, if you're in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, if you want them to build up enough to winter over successfully. That was that was interesting, right? And that's the thing, you gotta pay attention to the timing of when you wanna do things. Yeah. Alright, one more topic. Mini nukes. Those little styrofoam mini nukes. You hear Paul talk about them all the time on the beehive jive. Yeah. Loves them. Cup and a half of bees. I I know we you and I made queen castles, which have a couple frames of bees. I guess the only downside of those mini nukes is how do you get the bees out, but well, they were kind of neat. When I saw the video that he played from University of Guelph, I kind of think I want to try some of them. I knew you would like them because you're a gadget, <laughs> a hive gadget guy. I thought that they were ridiculous. I actually. saw them in Italy. Yeah. Uh, Giancarlo was using them. You've got to be on top of those, though. I mean, you can't leave bees in you there for no. more than a week or two. I know. So you... you You've got to be able to get in there. Here's where I think they make sense to me. Go ahead. I would not take queen cells that I'm crafting and do it that way. I wouldn't do it. There's way too much energy and possibility of 
I'd want to give those queen cells full complement of bees. The best chance. However, if I were doing the fat bee man method where I cut a cell out here, cut a cell out there, did whatever, I would I would stick them in there with a cup and a half of bees and give it a ring. Mm. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. If I pulled out a frame and I had all these queen cups and I queen capped queen cells and I didn't know what to do with them, I think I would consider that. If you had a bunch of them laying around, they're so small. I think that's a pretty cool idea and a use of those. So that that's the other question is how are they expensive? I, I don't know. I, I think they're like 20, 25 bucks a well, piece. So that's a lot of money for it's a little. It's still quite a bit of money. For a little uh, yeah. little new. But fact of the matter is you could build one and they don't have to be styrofoam cuz you're not trying to overwinter in the thing. Yeah. Actually, I have plans for a little style of styrofoam one like that yeah. if you're interested in making one. Well, the other thing I was thinking is the uh, eco hive that I have, the little garden hive, has mm-hmm. the same kind of frames. Mm-hmm. What would it take to make a box? Yeah. Of course, I got nothing but time to do that. But <laughs> well, but just thinking about it. So if you buy a, a sheet of insulation, right? How many nukes could you make out yeah. of it? You can you make probably, a lot. Yep. Probably make quite a few. Pretty cheap. Multi compartment uh, one. Mm-hmm. All right. He talked about. Social immunity through scratching and marring the surface. Why aren't we doing this? What are we missing? I don't know. Too much... (laughs) The bees are supposed to do it, right? Do you have to encourage the bees to put propolis on the inside of the box? My boxes are glued together like you wouldn't believe. So, I don't know. I agree. Makes a lot of sense. Coat the entire inside. Social immunity. I get it. I get it. But... Yeah, and if you're not following the topic... There's uh, Marla Spivak, I think, is the one who made it popular, this social immunity thing. You take the inside smooth, beautiful woodenware that your your bee manufacturer made you pay more for because it's select-grade lumber, and you <laughs> beat the crap out of it with a hammer or mark it or scratch it or do whatever, and those scratches get sealed by the bees with propolis, and it's supposed to make, because propolis has antimicrobial, antibacterial behaviors, and so on. Um, it's supposed to make a more healthier environment. So I, I can tell you an easy way, easier way that I've seen, and that's people put propolis screens. They staple them to the inside of the hive. Oh, that's interesting. On the walls. That'd be a lot easier, and they would fill them in just like they fill them in when they're at the top. Yeah, I mean, since I've been building a lot of hives, how hard would it be to scratch stuff up? It's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. You know? That's that's it. You just put a wire thing on a on a drill and go to town. Yeah. Or to your point, if if you're buying the lumber and most of the time when you're making these things, you, it's lumber that was given to you or you had, but you would buy you know rough cut on one side. It'd be cheaper, and that'd be perfect. Uh, you know, going back to the temp queen, we forgot about a point. You could put that in a queenless nuke. Or you could put that in uh, something that wants to be a drone layer, and it's supposed to be able to thwart that. Yeah. That was an interesting thing. I mean, how many types of hives do you have like that? But yeah, no. I, I actually have a queenless nuke right now, right, yeah. with the swarm hive that we talked about. Oh, yeah, that's right. That would have been a good one. And it would have been good. It would have hold them in while we put a queen in. So it doesn't turn the laying worker on you. Yeah, although yeah. they have no, well, who knows what they would do, right? Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and I'm sure you could find more uses for it if you had it, right? You, you'd find a time when you go, oh, that'd be perfect. Put one of these sticks in. Yeah. 
Alright, so the last topic I had a note on from the overall was that Caucasian bees are for sale in New York State. Mm-hmm. He made that statement. Yep. Do you have any interest in those? Yeah, I would I would like to try them. I'm not worried about them propolizing too much. Me either. That's always been their reputation. But I'd I'd like to try a new type of bee, sure. I you know, I listened to the Russian queen breeders and all that stuff. I, for me, I think Caucasian is more appealing to me than going to Russian bees. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, the Caucasian supposedly, this is what I know about them, more propolis and not very good honey producers. But I don't really care about being the top honey producer. If I get a box or two, I'm happy. So I'd like to give, if they're hardier, if they winter the way Carniolans winter, for yeah. example, I think they'd be worth a try. So overall, I thought the course was cool. Uh, learned a lot of stuff. We'll learn this week whether or not we had any uh, any success, right? And that's yeah. really what matters. It's like anything else. There were probably at least 50 moments in this course where we heard stuff that was interesting. All the stuff at the end about the, especially since I have to do my master beekeeper test, about the queen pheromone, the brood yeah. pheromone. How about the the Panku experiment that he talked about, where they washed the brood pheromone off of the larva, and then they took that material and painted it inside a hive. And when in abundance, they were able to make different behaviors occur in the hive. That, that's have you ever heard that? So. Well, we studied that last year. So it, it, it uh, what it does is it increases pollen collection. But we knew that the brood pheromone increases pollen collection, right? Yes, that we ju- did. That, that experiment just proved it in a very dramatic, simple and dramatic way. Well, I guess that was the cool thing is that someone figured out an experiment that yeah. extrapolated what people thought and actually bore it out. And I never knew that happened. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was kind of neat. And the Super Boost product that they talked about, I'd never heard of that. Have you? No. <laughs> so Super Boost was that. It's the brood pheromone that you could put into a hive. And if you put this stuff in, it, it would drive your bees to think that they need to raise more brood so they would go forage more for whatever they, they needed to raise specifically pollen right so, yeah so the perfect use for that was when would be when you put a pollen trap on your hive right yeah you put a pollen trap on you drop some of this super boost in there and it stimulates them to gather even more that 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 would be a great use for that yeah so all in all i thought it was a pretty good class so now we're going to <laughs> where we're going to the barn carversville pennsylvania and uh got a but we don't hold up much hope now. Yeah. Things have changed. So I, I spoke to the fellow this afternoon again, and it turns out it's not a swarm. It sounds more likely that he's got bees in a wall, and it's going to require a cutout. But it's on our way home, so we're going to stop in and see what's what's what, and whether it's something that we think uh, either one of us might want to tackle. But yeah. I don't do, do cutouts, really, unless they're very simple. So, we'll see. I'm a huge fan of uh, John Panette. He's a comedian. He's no longer with us. Yes. Right turn, Clyde. Okay. And he has this thing where he goes on this huge slide. 
Yeah. But the slide is ridiculous. <laughs> the slide's like a straight down drop. All right. He said, I know a slide. When you slide, you go, wee. This is more like, ah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he's, <laughs> as he's going down, he's yelling at his family going up the other way to get on the slide going, it's not a slide. <laughs> so this is. This is the, we're going to have to call this episode, It's Not a Swarm. It's not a swarm! <laughs> yeah, my, it's a cutout. <laughs> yeah, my concern on this one is, too, he's mentioned that it's up high. So, n- not only is it a cutout, but it sounds like you're going to be up on a ladder. Oh, you've got to be brave. you got to be brave, Bob. Not my thing. No, I, I agree with you. I don't need the knees that bad. So, I guess that's a good place to sign off. What's next weekend? Uh, state meeting and the yep. water walk for water villages walk. in partnership. Although I'm having serious consideration of, uh, I hate to admit this, the racetrack is right down the road from where the bee meeting is. It's and calling Kevin. Yeah, it's calling Kevin. me. I haven't been to a race yet this year, and I'm Jones. It's so bad. So I don't know. I may have to head south to, to Bridgeport Speedway. Because they're racing the big track this time, which is a first for our division. Okay. I couldn't blame you if you decided to do that. Yeah, we'll see. I'll have to see where my loyalties... This is a direct conflict, beekeeping versus racing. <laughs> so the state meeting should be We fun. were supposed to turn left back there, so you have to do a U-turn. Okay. But you can turn left up here. So yeah, the state meeting's going to be a blast, I think. Well, and it's the last meeting that we're going to honor Tim, so that, that should be fun. Who's Wonder- doing the beekeeping Olympics of yeah, the drone spitting and all that? Uh, we haven't decided yet, but if they have drone spitting... Next one. ...and it hasn't been determined yet whether they're going to do it, I absolutely want in on that. Yeah. Some of the other ones I just thought were kind of goofy, but drone spitting is... Historically, it's something that beekeepers do. Yeah, fun. that's a fun one. <laughs> and I've seen it done. It looks ridiculous. Where do we we did it at EAS? Right? Yeah, when somebody spits it out and it dribbles down their on their chin. And okay, just... so we should probably explain this because people are like, "What the heck is it?" You, of course, a drone does not sting you. Yeah. So if you take a drone, and this is a bit gross, but really not. You put it in your mouth and you spit it out, and the goal is whoever can spit the drone the farthest wins. That's the contest. So they're doing beekeeping Olympics. They're going to build a hive box with a hive tool. They're going to do drone spitting, and I forget what the other one was. Turning left here. This is the peril of recording while we do it because we've missed like three turns. That's okay. So, uh, I, you know, I did a lot of spitting as a kid, so so I, I think I have the technique. I just got to get that uh, guy to roll off my tongue. Yeah. And I, what's what's the worst thing can happen? Yeah. It can poo in your mouth? Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, I didn't think of that one. Well, we covered in esoteric facts that that's actually not a bad thing, because the only thing they eat is honey and... Right. Pollen, which we can consume. Got so it. actually eating excrement from a bee. My point it's exactly. An okay. How bad could it be? I think that's a great place to leave the episode. <laughs> we'll be back uh, next time with probably a more conventional episode. I've got a couple things prepped. But uh, I appreciate, Bob, you taking the time to hop in here today to get something in and... Uh, a lot of fun this weekend. Yeah, it was a good weekend. We, le- we learned a lot. We had a good time. Yeah. 
Like our beloved bees with beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you had a good time.